0: Welcome to another episode of Deal Talk. I'm Deal, let's talk. Uh, my guest of the evening is a talented, talented author. He is the author of Shipwreck and Rescue Cars and Crew. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, well, welcome to Larry Jordanson. Welcome to the show. How are you?
1: I'm fine and a uh, great opportunity to be with you and to,
0: to talk to all your listeners. Great, great. It's, all, it's an honor having you. So, you have this amazing book out. Uh, uh, shipwrecked and rescued. Um, what inspired you to to create such an amazing book? Well, you know,
1: I, I'm an old, what they call an old news dog. I've been in journalism all my life, practically. And um, I was on vacation up in uh, Upper Michigan, way in the tip of Northern Michigan. And I saw just a very brief article about this ship and this amazing shipwreck and rescue. And I'd never heard it before. And I've seen, you know, on the shipwreck maps where the various shipwrecks are. And I thought, "This this is too good a story to not get more details on it. So I had the summer up there and I started digging and asking questions. And I realized that this is probably the only shipwreck and rescue life its type ever on the Great Lakes. And there's been 6,000 of them. And wow. I thought, this is, this is just too good to not put into a book. And I, I just sort of got addicted to the story and away we went.
0: Is it, is, there, is this a story that like, um, I want to say, is it like an untold story, something amazing that happened? And, and it's but yet history for some reason it's not documented until now. Well,
1: it, it is pretty much untold. The, the people that live in the immediate area uh, know about it, but they didn't really think it was a great thing. Uh, it just sort of, sort of happened, and a few the locals know about it. There was a little information, and I was able to find in some of the museums and that, but not a lot. And and that's what really amazed me about this story because I do uh, read a lot about what's happened in, on the Great Lakes. It's an area that's fascinated me, and to have not stumbled into this before in my reading, uh, I was just amazed. I thought this is either it's a fairy tale or it's a hidden story, and as it turned out, it was just sort of a hidden story, and not that they were ashamed of it. It just Nobody thought it was a big deal, but it was. The rescue of those cars off that ship were indeed quite an accomplishment.
0: What was the cargo? What 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 year? What time frame did this 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 occur?
1: Well, the the wreck happened in 1926. Now, when we, when we talk about a wreck. It was a a tremendous November storm. Now, November on Lake Superior is the worst time. You know, everybody talks about the Edmund Fitzgerald. That was Mm. November when that was sunk. Well, what happened, the storm was so intense that it literally tossed the ship onto a reef. It didn't Mm. sink it was tossed onto a reef and it was gashed open so it became impossible ever to use the ship again so wow. it actually the fact that it was picked up and tossed onto this reef is ultimately what led to such an amazing rescue uh several months later wow
0: what what, what type of vehicles were these fords because at that time i know fords were like the market for fords were booming right
1: Right. Well, they were Chryslers. And Walter Chrysler had just started really to get his company going um, about three years. And the model he came out with, which was the 1927 Chrysler, had become very, very popular. It was sort of medium priced and there was a big demand for it. And it really was a turnaround year for Chrysler. So we've got a shipload of 240 Chryslers, brand new. They were 1927 Chryslers. They had been manufactured in Detroit and were being transported from Detroit through the Great Lakes to Duluth, which uh, is on the western edge of Lake Superior. Uh, Obviously, they never made it to to Duluth. Um, But it, it was just amazing. Besides the Chryslers, there were six whippets. Most people will say, well, what was a whippet? A whippet was a vehicle that was made by the Willis Company. Now, the Willis Company is no better known for being the ones that later started making the Jeeps. That was... I think they decided they could make more money making jeeps for the government than they could making cars <laughs> for the consumer but there were six the weapons were made in Toledo Ohio and they were able to transport them on the same ship as the chrysler's but it was primarily 240 chrysler's that were on the ship
0: wow that's a lot especially in that time frame that could easily easily would have well could have bankrupt Chrysler at that time, taking that loss financially. And,
1: and that's why um, after the ship was declared a loss and and Walter Chrysler came from Detroit all the way up to upper Michigan with the insurance inspector and they declared it a loss and he sees his 240, well, it wasn't quite, we, we'll tell you there were 13 that were lost. We'll get to that.
0: But, <laughs>
1: Over 200 Chryslers sitting on this ship. And that was the motivating factor for Walner to say, I want my cars back. Mm. So we have two rescues. Remember now, we've got a a crew on a ship. And they need to be rescued first. And then later on, we're going to figure out what we're going to do about the cars. Um, So the ship gets trashed on a reef. It's a couple miles offshore, and the the crew, and ironically, these guys are from Detroit. They had no idea how bad things were going to get. Some of them, you know, were dressed in loafers and slacks,
0: Mm, not expecting.
1: Yeah, they they thought, well, we're going to do a little cruise to Duluth. (laughs) Well, they finally are able to to chop a lifeboat free. Um, which has been frozen on the boat, and they use the lifeboat to kind of ferry the guys back and forth to get them to shore. So they get them to shore, but this is just the start of their troubles. Mm. First of all, they're not dressed for what they're about to challenge they're about to have. Secondly, there's no communications. No one knows the ship has, has been trashed. No one knows they're lost the only thing they do think they know is that during this bad storm and the ship is being tossed around the captain thinks they have gone west of a mountain that he's familiar with rockway mountain it's called and so he he figures well we must be west of this little bitty community of copper harbor Now Copper Harbor is located, if you look on the map, the peninsula that goes into Lake Superior, right on the tip, northern tip of that peninsula is Copper Harbor. (laughs) In 1926, there's probably two dozen people living there. Um, So anyhow, the, the crew gets off the ship and they think they are west of Copper Harbor. Unfortunately, they are not. They are east. They never made it west. They get off the ship thinking they are west of Copper Harbor, and they start walking east. They think, well, if we can make it to Copper Harbor, maybe we can get saved. They're going in the wrong direction. They're going east. Finally, they realize somehow that they have made a mistake, and so they spend most of the first day, and we're talking for. four feet of snow and zero temperatures. Yeah, yeah. So they spend most of the first day finally getting back to where they started on the shore near the near the abandoned ship. The next day they take off and they then walk west like they should be. But it, it's really getting rough. I mean, some of them have taken uh, blankets before they got off the ship and they... Cut uh, blankets into strips, wrap them around their legs to try to protect their legs, but they're really freezing. I mean, they're
0: not equipped, yeah, yeah.
1: and they're lost. You know, they have no idea where they are.
0: No, I can imagine. Yeah, correct. How long? How long did it take you to write? Because this is basically history.
1: I, I, I like I told you, I, I got sort of addicted to the story. <laughs> And I really, I got into it, and I spent over a year just concentrating on the story and getting all the facts. Because you'll see in the book that it goes in so many directions. We've got a crew that almost freezes to death, and we talk about how they finally were rescued and saved. We've got a a shipload of, of Chryslers that ultimately were able to get off of the ship and get into this little town. And then we've got the people that were involved in saving the crew yeah. and in rescuing the cars. And and that, that whole thing goes in another direction. And we actually have one of the cars is still on the Upper Peninsula of, of Keweenaw Peninsula in Upper Michigan. And the book tells where that car is and gives a history to why that car It's still on the peninsula and can be seen in a museum up there. So this goes in many directions, and the ship sits for 18 years. After they get the cars off, the ship sits on this reef for 18 years. It sort of becomes a tourist attraction. People would go out on the shore, and they'd look out, oh, well, there's the ship, you know. Um, There was one attempt to salvage it. They couldn't get it off of the off of the reef. It was too high. Uh, The salvage company thought, well, we'll make a kind of a barge out of it, that didn't work. So it sat there until World War II and we needed steel. So that alone was enough motivation for a salvage company to send a crew out there and to start cutting that ship up. They cut it down to the waterline, ultimately got the steel, and it went into the war effort Eighteen years after the accident wow
0: that's but, a, that's amazing
1: well that's know, that's know, insane the getting the cars off you know i, I mentioned briefly that they, they didn't quite all make it. There were thirteen cars that if you're looking for a vintage Chrysler with no miles on it, they're on the bottom of Lake superior okay. <laughs> uh what happened in the storm? The the cars are on a lower deck and an upper deck. And the cars that were on the upper deck were chained in rows of 13. There'd be a common chain, and then the cars would be attached to that chain. Well, the 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 chain of cars that was the furthest out on the outside that was taking the, the strongest beating in the storm, mm-hmm. that chain broke. And what it did... All 13 cars went overboard. So those wow. 13 didn't. There was another one that when the ship hit the reef, the car was tossed off of the ship and was so badly damaged when it hit the shore that they actually had to haul it out of there by sleigh. It was just one of the one of the guys on the ship described it as a ball of, of metal. It was just, it was like I
0: imagine. Yeah, yeah.
1: So anyhow, the, the cars, you know, they, they don't immediately get off the ship. They're on a reef, right? Yeah. They wait for three months. And and Walter Chrysler says, I want my cars.
0: <laughs>
1: he gets a salvage company out of Duluth and they make a deal. He says, I'll give you $140, which probably was coming from the insurance company, yeah. for every car that is returned to Duluth. So they wait and the water freezes around the reef. Aha! So they build a ramp from the reef to the top of the ship.
0: We we'll start pulling.
1: And they start getting the cars onto the reef. Okay. Well, the water's frozen enough that they can actually drive them to shore. So, first they thought, well, we'll build a road. Now, it's eight miles to that little town of Copper Harbor. We're going to build a road right through four feet of snow. That idea went about a mile. (laughs) Then somebody said, wait a minute. The water's frozen. Why don't we drive the cars along the shore of Lake Superior and go to this little town of Copper Harbor? Idea, okay. But the problem to that idea... The cars have been on the ship for several months.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Some of them had dead batteries. Some of them had no batteries. So they get, get one car, one group of cars that did have working batteries. Drive them the six, seven miles, whatever, to Copper Harbor. Take the batteries out. Go back and get more cars. Okay. So they finally get them all to this little bitty community of Copper Harbor. Now, it's January 1927. There's probably two dozen people. And in the book, you'll see a picture of 200 and some Chrysler's all lined up in this community, you know, and what? Maybe two dozen potential customers i not going to sell them there. Now, unfortunately, the road, the very poor road, to that community isn't plowed in the wintertime. It's 40 miles from Copper Harbor to the nearest town of any size that has a railroad. But it's also covered with up to six, seven feet of snow. The idea is get the cars from Copper Harbor, get them to this town of Calumet, get them on a train, send them back to Walder. right? Mm -hmm. Sounds like a good idea. But it took two highway commission crews three weeks to finally bust that road open, 40-mile route from where the ship, where the cars were mm-hmm. to the little town of Calumet. So we've got the road open. Now what are we going to do with the cars, right? Mm-hmm. That, while they're working on getting the road open, they've been hauling fuel by sleigh up to the cars. So now they've got fuel. What's missing is drivers, right? (laughs) We got a population of two dozen people and we got 200 and some cars. So the salvage company says, I'll pay $5 for someone, anyone who wants to drive that car down that 40 mile of barely plowed roads. A lot of high school kids didn't go to school that day. They made a fast five. But now this is where it gets interesting. This is where we get to the, the car that's still up there. You, know, you think about it now. They're going to give you $5 to drive that car, right? Mm-hmm. So you're driving down this little old lonely, barely plowed road, and you're thinking, I'm driving a brand-new Chrysler, and I'm going to get $5. Well, as you get closer to the town where the depot is, there are some side roads. Okay. I'm not convinced that all of the yeah. Chryslers made it to the train. And we know one for sure that didn't. And we've heard since I wrote the book, I've had people come up to you and say, well, my grandfather drove one of those and he knows for fact that so and so kept one. Okay. <laughs> so, so, but basically, they got most of them to the town, got them on the train. But this one car, that's, that's still there, was sold by the Chrysler dealer in that town to an individual, and he told him it's from the shipwreck from the, the Banger. The ship is called the Banger, and he bought the he, he bought the car. He died about two years after he bought it, and his brother got the car from his widow and. That car stayed in that same family for sixty nine years wow okay wow now the the second brother that got it, he was so proud of his new Chrysler he would drive it everywhere. he would drive it in parades. he'd drive it on top that car, I hope my Ford does this had two hundred thousand miles on it <laughs> the, in the book, there's a picture of it. And he's taking it through the, the the Michigan vehicle inspector, who can't believe it. He said, 200,000 miles of this car is this old." So it, it gets handed down in the family until the last person that has it it really doesn't have the ability to keep it. He's, he's being transferred to Wisconsin, so it sits. An insurance man buys it. And he's going to restore it and make a few dollars. That doesn't happen. Okay, He he works on it for a while. I said, no. So he puts it up for sale. So now we have the car for local historical association gets enough money together to buy that car. And that car now sits in a museum at the Eagle Harbor Lighthouse. There's a museum there. The car is there. A lot of the pictures that I've got in the book are at that museum. Um, We were able to get them. The the captain of the crew of the boat that rescued the crew was an amateur photographer. So he took a lot of good pictures. And they were handed out, you know. So if... If you ever get up to Copper Harbor, Michigan, it's a long journey. And you go a little bit to the west, you come to Eagle Harbor. There's a lighthouse museum and a beautiful lighthouse there. And that car is there, as is the captain's jacket, the captain's desk, and some miscellaneous trivia off of that ship. So it's a a pretty interesting story.
0: It sounds like an amazing journey, an amazing book.
1: You know, I've had people come to me afterwards and say, why doesn't somebody make this into a a video of some kind?
0: A movie, yeah.
1: Yeah, because it it has gone in so many directions. And and we didn't even talk about the crew. You know, the, the crew, when they got rescued from the boat and wandered for two days in the snow, they finally got to this town of Copper Harbor. And... They were all but dead, really. They were frozen bad, a fat, and, and where are you gonna where are you gonna feed them? Yeah. You know, there's no holiday in at Topper Harbor. You know. The family, one gracious family, takes and will take them in. Well, fortunately, Dad had slaughtered two hogs before the snow set in, so they had pork. And they had, as they say, a well-producing cow and some chickens. And that family got them in, warmed them up, thawed them out, they were so frozen, they literally melted a big puddle as as they began to thaw out, fed them. And little by little, mostly by sleigh, one of them by a car that had a, a track on it, were taken to the hospital in that same little town where the depot was. Some of them were in that hospital for a long time. Some of them were really badly hurt. But as as they healed, they would be released one at a time, and they would get transportation back to their hometowns. Now, another interesting story. I was told, I could never verify the names, but I was told there were at least two of those sailors that decided that Living on the Keweenaw Peninsula would be a good idea because they had met two nurses that
0: uh, <laughs> sort
1: of took care of them. You know? So we, we got most of the cars back and we got most of the crew back, but some of them uh, obviously never left the peninsula. As, love, As in, by the way, don't forget, we had the, the six whippets on there, right? Well, now, I don't think Either Walter Chrysler or his insurance company is going to pay for somebody else's cars to go back.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We were able to track four of them. Uh, one was actually kept in a shed near a little business, so to speak, in the town of Copper Harbor. And we've got a picture of it. The shed fell down. We've got a picture of it It was put up for sale. I don't know where it went from there, but there's one whippet. Then we talked to a lady, an elderly lady, who was with the Historical Society. And back when she was much younger, she went to an estate sales, and there in the garage was a whippet, and she bought it. So that's two. Okay, so then in the hotel in that little town there is a display a big display about the ship and along with it there are two wooden wheels off of a whippet so that's number three can't go in place without wheels and then just recently we found the basic chassis and engine of a whippet that was being used in someone's backyard to cut up wood, firewood. <laughs> so there's four. The other two probably are in a landfill somewhere, but we know that they didn't go back to Detroit or Toledo. Wow.
0: What was, what was the thing that intrigued you the most about the story?
1: I think what intrigued me the most, and I wrote a little um, thing at the end of the book, was how that peninsula, the people in that peninsula just worked together to save the crew, to save the cars. I mean, it, this was not an easy task, and no one was paying them. You know, they were just out doing it. They're they're getting yeah. the cars off the ship. There were these two highway commissions are plowing the roads as family out of the goodness of their heart of saving the guys. I mean, it was truly an effort that took hundred, a couple hundred people probably. From that, that isolated peninsula, of they call it the Kiwanis Peninsula. So to me, that was the fascination. Uh, a, a little quick for you, the um, family that saved the the crew took them into their house. Um, later, and their names was Berg. Mister Berg decided to run for sheriff, and he did. He ran for it. He was elected sheriff of the county. And when he the, consequently he had to move to another town a little bit further away, and of course, his wife, Berg went with him and One of the granddaughters told me that she sort of became the under sheriff she would take care of the jail and things like that, and as it were, if You committed a violation of some kind, and you were brought up before the judge, and it was pay your fine or go to jail. A lot of times, especially in the winter, they would opt to go to jail. Because, well, everybody knew that Ida Berg was a pretty good cook. (laughs) (laughs) So what happens, Ida becomes famous. Her husband is a sheriff for one term. He's reelected for a second term to start in January. And December preceding, he's out, typical, helping someone with a car that's stuck in a snowbank. He gets pneumonia. He dies like 10 days into his term, wow. his second term. So what happens? Ida becomes the sheriff. So now she is the sheriff. Not only is she the sheriff, she runs for sheriff two more times and gets reelected. In Michigan's book of famous women, she's right up there on the top. She's one of them. Uh, Again, when I was talking about the people on that peninsula, that's a good example. They just, that's what they do. You know, I I got the story about her and her, her husband, William, from a great granddaughter who lives in Indiana. When I found her, she made two trips all the way up to the Keweenaw Peninsula to tell me about the family and to tell me these little stories. And she brought with her, she had dug through some possessions of her grandmother. She brought with her a card and it's reproduced in the book. It's a Christmas card that the first mate of that ship sent to that woman, Mrs. Berg, thanking her for actually saving the lives of all the crewmen, and, wow. and I was allowed to reproduce that in the book, so again it's you know it just it's amazing yeah it it's just, amazing it is
0: it's amazing what you know what what inspired you to be a journalist
1: <laughs> well,
0: that's a long story. But-
1: Yeah, when I was a kid, there used to be a show on TV called The Big Story or something like that. It was was about reporters that had their great story, you know. That fascinated me. But I was just, you know, in in grade school then. Fortunately, when I was in high school, I was able to go to work at the local weekly newspaper. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't. I wasn't Mister. go out and get a story. Yeah, I wrote a little bit, I took some photos, but I did things like you know, clean the presses, you know, and those were the days of linotypes. And my Saturday job was making uh lead pigs, as they call them, mm-hmm. linotypes, you know. So that's how I got started. I, my first real taste of journalism, if you call it that, and did some writing when I went to uh, to college, I went to UW in Milwaukee and took my experience that I gained in the weekly and went to a Milwaukee publishing company that did six weekly newspapers. It wasn't a daily, but might as well have been. We'd, we did a paper a day and they hired me. So I was able to do more writing and more photography Um, and just improved on that skill. And from there, I got fascinated by radio. And uh, as it happened, a radio school opened up, and I had about three years of college, and I was a broke college student. (laughs) Here is radio. And I could go to radio school for about three months, and I could become a radio newsman. So I thought, sounds good to me. So I did that. My first radio job was in South, and I mean South Texas, a little wow. town little town called Raymondville, about 50 miles from the Mexican border. And so well, I spent two and a half years down there on radio. Uh from there went to uh uh Louisiana, was in radio and TV in Louisiana TV in Shreveport, and then from there I got lonely for Wisconsin, and I found a very nice news director at the television station in Green Bay. And I said, I want to come home. And he said, send me a tape. Tell me about you. Come on home, okay? And I, I went back, I went to Green Bay, and I was at uh, the NBC station in Green Bay, uh, eventually became assistant news director. And I was in Green wow. Bay, and I, during the Vince Lombardi years. Wow. You, you talk about a time to be in Green Bay. I could tell now you a stories all day and you don't have the time.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I find that fascinating. See, like I I started this journalist uh, path three years ago, especially with a podcast. And, you know, I've been getting a certificate from, you know, miscellaneous schools, you know, learning, educating myself, man. And I, and, you know, I've been trying to pursue a career in actual journalism, but, you know, nowadays, if you don't got a a bachelor degree and, uh, you know, a master's degree or something like that, you're not going to find an opportunity to to pursue what you want. Unfortunately for me, you know, when I finally came, you know, as, a, you know, f- what I really want to do, right? You know, I was already married. I, I had kids, so, you know, I, I already had to build a life you know, kind of makes it difficult to, you know, start from scratch. So, you know, any word of advice you have somebody like me, I, I, I would appreciate it.
1: Um, Don't give up. You know, and this thing where you have to have a degree. I didn't get a degree. You know, I just, I got tired is what I got. <laughs> I, was, I was lucky. I, I was able to take what experience I had gotten and what education and to, to, to snowball that, you yeah. know, and, and you know, you don't necessarily. Think, I'll give you a good example. When I was in Green Bay, um, the gentleman who hired me, also and was news director before I became assistant, went to NBC in Chicago. Okay, and he was there short time, and he called me up and he said, "We've got an opening down here." NBC in Chicago. So come on down. Cut a tape. Do an interview. You know, so I did. I went to Chicago, did the whole trick, and went back to Green Bay after fighting Chicago traffic and all that. Oh,
0: man. (laughs) And
1: I went back to Green Bay. He called me up a couple days later. He said, you got the job. I said, Dick, bless your heart, I'm not coming. (laughs) I I like." Green Bay, we got the Packers and we got Vince Lombardi and we got lots of snow. And well, I was into snowmobiling. So, but that the only reason I'm telling you that is I had an opportunity and I, I probably would have blown it. I probably would have gone to Chicago with NBC and all the pressure there. And ultimately, I would have been back at Green Bay anyhow. I don't, that's not, not, I'm not giving you much confidence here, but I had the opportunity and I turned it down and I, you know, where my life took me after that, I don't regret a bit. You know, wow. so, yeah, you don't, know, you know, take your desire, if your desire is to do it, do it. Yeah, and along the way, you gotta feed yourself and take care of your family. i do that too, you know, but uh, don't give up on the dream. That's, mm. that, right now, my dream is writing books. You know, because I've got the time now. I still I do media work. I have a couple of clients that uh, I do media work for, but it's I'm not their employee. I'm you know under contract, so it gives me time to do books. Yeah, you know, and I I just enjoy writing, and I, you know what I enjoy, I enjoy the investigation, the research.
0: Yes, can- that's <laughs> what that's what fascinates me about it. Like like sometimes you're just stumbling upon upon things that like it's like mind-blowing you're like you're like an you know an explorer and that's what like uh man i tell you that's that's what like gives me life in a sense
1: well that's my, my wife said that year that i worked on the uh shipwreck book She said, I didn't see you very much. I said, I know, I got addicted to the story. And it was, if I wasn't doing work for a client, my extra time was, I'm going to finish this book. You know, you asked me about, was it very well known? I'll give you a good example. About 40 miles or 50 miles from where the, the shipwreck happened, there's the university, it's Michigan Tech University. It's a big university up there in, in Michigan. They're known for their hockey and engineers, okay? But they have a great archives. So one of the first places I went was to the archives. The first, now this is 40 miles away from when the event happened, right? The first person I talked to, I said, this is what I'm looking for. What have you got on this? She said, I've never heard of that before. Wow. Now, she, she's in the archives at a university that's 40 miles from where it happened. Fortunately, one of the other people in archives, she went to her and she said, yeah, I've heard of that. I think we've got some information. We could be of help. But that's how much it wasn't a secret. It just wasn't, for whatever reason, it wasn't important, and, you know they're talking about it now I can tell
0: you that yeah
1: yeah the book has really stirred them up you know it's
0: no really- it's, it's it's like you know it's like you compare it like to Titanic we, we, everybody knows the Titanic because of the movies the, you know the, the quote unquote love story but other than that what do they really know about the Titanic unless you start doing your research educating you know digging which is a lot of digging right Right. and um i think it's just fascinating i think i think it's fascinating that this took place in a such uh, uh a little town and how defines you know truly of helping one another because they hadn't they had, they had no obligation to help one another it is that you know we talked about the the um the edmund
1: Fitzgerald. And of course, everybody, you know, you say Lake Superior Shipwreck, it's the Edmund Fitzgerald. The difference in the two stories is we have a happy ending. Wow. But one of, the, one of the guys who's a, who helped me a little bit in the book in research is a diver. And he's wow. gone down to the Edmund Fitzgerald. And everything that they say about how it broke in half and everything is true. He said, you go down and look at it. It's quite obvious what happened, you know, and the human remains are still there. The water is so cold, it just preserves everything. And it's historic area now, you can't take anything from there anyhow, you know. But um, it's amazing what's out there and, and people like that diver will dig just like you're talking about digging, you know. Let's find out. Let's find out what really happened.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, this it's the sense of adventure, you know, like in, in, I feel like, you know, one, one of the things I enjoyed uh, uh, growing up because I grew up in Puerto Rico, right. It, it was listening to the radios and sometimes it would go and tell stories. And I think, you know, we lost that sense of storytelling in a way of, you know things that happen in reality that nobody talks about. A lot of it, it's you know who's trending. You know what models is doing some stupid nonsense. You know what actor like it's that that's not really history. That's not you know that's not somebody's story.
1: Well, let's not. Talk about happened. If we don't talk about them, then they didn't happen. Yeah, well, yeah, they did happen. And if you don't talk about them, if you don't bring them back up, you don't learn anything. Your yes. children don't learn. You know, if if there's a, a and I don't care if, it, if it's the Confederates or the Yankees, if there's a monument that's been torn down, then when I walk by that area with my child.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: my child has no reason to ask me about it what was that dad what happened why is that monument there Mm -hmm. you know we we are taking away the responsibility to preserve history be it good or bad
0: and educate and educate absolutely absolutely because if we so like i tell everyone like i always like history always repeats itself And we can learn a lot through history. But if we start acting like it didn't happen, then how are we supposed to learn from it? How are we, you know, if it it was a bad history, how can we learn from it to be better? Absolutely. And have, and, and, you know, take away the feelings, the emotion, and try to have a progressive, uh, positive conversation. But if you're acting like nothing ever happened, then, it makes no sense, and you're just you no, in denial. You have
1: no reason to talk about it. It didn't happen, you know. That's, like I say, it it eliminates my responsibility as an adult to continue the story. Yes. Whether, you're, whether you're a historian or not, it's important to continue the story. You know, there, there, we, we did a lot of crazy things in this country, not intentionally, mm-hmm. you know just the way it happened. I mean, look at the, you know, the stories about Native Americans. You know, um, it just, it's a shame that we gloss things like that over now. We just don't even talk about
0: it. Yeah, we, we forget. We forget. And and they're, you know, they're not in the history books. You know, they they pick and choose what is in there. And instead of, you know, speaking of factual information, what things truly happen, you know, we have generations and, you know, this generation believes this, this one believes in this, you know, we're now in the generation that, you know, things are very sensitive. And anybody who's, you know, a a strategist will see that as an opportunity. Okay, so now everybody's sensitive, let's remove this so we don't have to talk about it anymore. But we should talk about it. We should educate because these are the foundation of our country is made of. And if we forget that, then we're forgetting ourselves.
1: Making a country is no different than making a life. You're going to make mistakes along the way.
0: It's important. It's important because, you know, you know, and yet again, I'm not sure about your generation, but mine was, you know, they taught a lot, you know, don't make me say that's bad, but it's like then you know, as I got older, uh, mature, started a family, had a son, you know, like you need them. Because how would you learn? You know,
1: you, you, you learn by your mistakes. Yeah. That's, you know, that, that's, that's so, I mean, it's so prevalent now. Nobody loses. Nobody makes a mistake in you know, youth sports or whatever. Everybody wins. No, everybody doesn't win. You know, everybody gets a trophy. Why? Well, because they showed up.
0: Okay. Yeah. Boy, I didn't know. It
1: wasn't that way when I was playing, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah,
0: same same here, same here, you know. And, and, and you know, I, I, I read these books and people that have lost. And the person that won just won a trophy, but their life is crumbling. The person that lost, you know, either became a successful mogul or became a millionaire or billionaire, but took that loss and taught them to, you know... Live life, so like truly, like we need failure.
1: Yeah, we do. We should. You know,
0: do. and it's also how we deliver it. You know, because a lot of you know parents or, or individuals deliver it as uh, deliver it as something hor- horrific, tragic. You know, there's some there's someone delivered it, and we're like, okay, you did that. Now, what what do you have to, to do to better Yeah. Did you learn and uh it's so it's so crucial you know but that's just you know that's how time goes <laughs> uh
1: you you're, you're doing an amazing job with your show and I wish you well partner I wish you well I
0: thank you I thank you I, I appreciate it. you know some days are, are are difficult you know because you know you wish the thing you love will you know eventually flourish and and pay the bills right because you know i what i enjoy is that everyone has a story everyone has from from business or author to music to to art you know but if nobody is given the platform to talk about it like your book the story is amazing you know Everything's we live in 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 this generation. Everything's monetized, so that whoever has money, is will has will capital is always going to be on the top. Mm -hmm. And what happens is that there's not room for you to wiggle in, and and people can learn new things because they're already the algorithm, the monetization is always going to show you the same thing. Yeah, it's not going to show you something new, something that's going to emerge. And I think yeah and I think that's very it's sad and it worries me because how would you know well, you
1: think of the you know i the book I'm writing a book right now that is loaded with famous not loaded with it's got some famous people who made some pretty bad mistakes <laughs> to to be famous and, and and prosperous, but they did good things. Along the way, and and I think the most prominent one in this book I'm writing is Henry Ford. Yes. You know, and the mistakes he made, but what he did later, you know, what he accomplished, especially we talk about, you know, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, what he did for that area with his businesses is amazing. But he made a lot of mistakes getting there, you yeah. know. But how do you know it's not gonna work if you don't try it?
0: Yeah. It's simple,
1: you know. He tried I I I I write about it in the book, he tried a device uh that was involved in snow, and it's a long chapter, but basically it's a device that he hooked had hooked to his Fords and tractors, and the device was like a, a screw type thing. It was an auger on each side, and it would move those tractors through the snow. And the, and the idea was very, the idea goes back to, way back to, you know, that whole concept of moving things with an auger. And they thought, we're onto something here. Well, that idea lasted for about two or three years, until they had a tremendous problem on an expedition that was to go to the northern tip of Alaska. Wow. And, and it was financed and supported by the National Geographic Association and explorers, etc. And it was a complete failure. And that was the end of that idea. So, <laughs> but it, and it's just one small example. But it's it's an interesting example. Here's a man with a lot of money, a lot of intelligence. has been very successful, but that one didn't work.
0: Yeah. Just but like a bunch won't. of other ideas didn't work. Yeah. But eventually, you know, eventually something will work. Yeah. Is it, what is that? Uh, it was a Tom, Thomas Edison person who invented the light bulb. How many takes did it take him to, to you know, create the perfect one?
1: Make it work, yeah.
0: You know it's, it, you know what I found fascin- fascinating is that when you're on your journey and you're trying to make something happen, how crazy they'll tell you who you are, how insane, or how t- they'll tell you it will never work. But when it works, when you when when your time finally comes and it hits, you know, or, or, or you you become an overnight sensation, you become and a you genius. Get-
1: yeah, and you get people come up to you and say, Oh, I could have done that. I knew yeah, that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Then why didn't you do it? Because you don't to do it. That's
0: why. Yeah. Uh, it's the just- irony. It, it's, it's fun. It's life. It's life. You got a good attitude. Keep at it. Uh, man, I, I try. I try. You know, you have to, because, you know, I just turned 34, right? So, like, period of time. I've learned that, you know, stop, stop being so much, so judgmental, right? Accept the person for the, who they are and what they are, right? And then hope one day they'll, they'll see you. They'll sit there and watch you trying each and every day be a little, little bit better than where you were yesterday in hopes that one day they'll do them things for themselves because time is limited. Yeah, time is essential. And, you know, it goes like that goes quick you got to have fun enjoy the ride and that's what i think when i found journalism because you know learning so much speaking to individuals like yourself so much storage so much history be able you know create a platform and just talk to somebody about something awesome like your book right it's 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 fascinating
1: well we'd love to love to share what i'm working on next
0: well you, you have
1: my email uh I know how to find you. The the one next, I, I, I'll just give you a teaser. It's called "Make It Go in the Snow."
0: Okay, well,
1: make it so go. So we We're not talking about today's modern snowmobile. Mm. We're talking about things that, like the guy that invented the thing that went on the Model T to make it go in the snow. Okay? Wow! Or the or the first car. I'll give you a little teaser. The first snow vehicle to go Directly to the South Pole was driven by Sir Edmund Hillary. Wow. Five years after he conquered the mountain, he conquered
0: the South Pole.
1: That's the kind of story. I'll tell you some
0: stories. We'll get back on that one. All right. All right. Um, Before we go, tell the people where they can find your amazing book.
1: Well, we have a website. It's simply shipwreckedandrescued.com. it is available other places, but if you go to the website, I'll even sign it to you. Tell me who you are, and I'll scribble your name and mine in there. Uh, it is available on Amazon, you know, and it's <laughs> available, depending on where you live, it's available in a lot of stores. A lot of, you know what I found? I thought I was writing a shipwreck story. Well, I did, but I didn't realize. The story has a lot of interest to vintage car people. There are vintage car museums that are selling my book because in fact, it deals with some vintage cars that were rescued, you know? So, you know, it's, you'll never know where you might find it, but if all else fails, go to the website.
0: Boom. There you have it guys. Make sure you go to his website, go, go support him, go get his book. Enjoy that amazing uh, piece of history. Uh, make sure you go that you go to YouTube Deal Talk TV. Go like and subscribe to my channel. Go follow me on Instagram Mister Retain and Larry. Thank you so much. It's been an honor, a pleasure. Uh, once we're done here, I'm gonna uh, text you. Uh, send you my phone number via email. And when you're ever ready, when you're ready, just let me know. I will do it. You
1: you do a great job, and I just feel very, very proud to have been on your show.
0: It's an honor having you. Thank you so much. Have uh, a good night, guys. i, mean, I <laughs>